Half past uh, seven, you are with SAFM. That is Nakane with, of course, the track New Brighton. The choice of a Sunday in East London and uh, a nice choice indeed for that one. Hey, we have to celebrate our South Africans and when they go out and do crazy things. You heard that track by South African singer Tandazo Gatya. He uh, caught John Legend's eye on TikTok when he did a duet on TikTok with the song of John Legend and then was invited to perform with the uh, American star as well. It was a great uh, opportunity and just a lovely story as well. Not such a lovely story. Time for us to move into thought leaders, storytellers and griots, focusing specifically on the small world. Thought leaders, storytellers and griots, sharing personal highlights on Stories of the Week. Stories of the week and certainly a, a small world that we live in, one something we should be talking about. Iran has something which they call the morality police. And last week there was a massive protest expanding, continuous protests expanding throughout Iran, sparked by the death of a young woman called Masa Amini. She had been detained by the morality police for not wearing what the authorities suggested was modest clothing. They suggested that she was not wearing her hijab correctly. She was uh, or died in this insecurity uh, or in 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 the, when she was detained they say she died of a heart attack others are saying she was beaten uh, with a baton and that she may have died of head injuries the impact of that has seen women burning their hijabs cutting off their hair and massive massive protests throughout the country we thought we'd try and understand and learn a little bit more about this i was intrigued and actually horrified by the idea of a morality police. If we ever had to be thinking about The Handmaid's Tale, the future is here with that kind of thing, and it's very disturbing. Naeem Gina is the executive director of the Afro-Middle East Center, and Naeem is on the line to describe and talk the story through further. Naeem, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. So, Naeem, let's go back to the um, story of specifically Masa Amini and the morality police. Who are the morality police in Iran? So it's it's a kind of police force or part of the police force uh, whose specific... um, a uh, specific job is to identify, you know, uh, crimes of morality, I suppose. Uh, so things like not dressing properly, uh, uh, particularly women, but women and men um, and other, you know, uh, yeah, th- those kinds of things. And they, uh, um, they kind of police that, uh, that stuff. So she, Masa Amini, had not, in fact, um, she had traveled to Tehran. She came from... Kurdistan, which is in the northwest of India, and she was picked up from uh, by these morality police for what is not hundred percent clear. Yes, it's not. I mean, it seems that um, they were not happy with the way that she had worn her headscarf. Yeah, uh, that that seems to be what happened. Um, but she was arrested. Uh, she was arrested, uh, put into a police vehicle, and um, and taken to um, some kind of a police facility. 
Um, and it's now, uh, you know, as you said in your introduction, it's not entirely clear. I mean, there are uh, some people who say that when she was in the police, she was beaten in the yeah. van. Um, and so she was already injured by the time she got <clears throat> to the police facility. Um, the police have released a video at the facility which shows that, um, you know, she was standing and then she just collapsed. Um, her family says the video is probably doctored, but if she was beaten, then it, you know, it's possible that she could have just collapsed anyone without anyone know. at the moment uh, touching her. So, so the whole uh, thing is not entirely clear. The president announced after the incident on Sunday, last Sunday, uh, announced that there would be uh, an inquiry into her death. Yeah. Uh, but by then, of course, the Okay, Naima, I'm going to ask you to stand still if you are moving around. It's a, you're, it's a little bit unclear um, when, when we talk to you. I think that what is also very potent about the story is that the response has been absolutely massive. We've seen protests moving throughout Iran. We've seen women cutting off their hair, burning their headscarves. What do you think just tipped it over? I mean, obviously, the death of a woman, yes. But but what was it that you think just really put it in the space that it's in now? Well, I mean, you know, in, in, in many cases uh, of uprisings, revolutions, etc., you have one little spark. Yeah, um, you know, exactly. The so-called Arab Spring um, started with a small... Um, unknown town, town that most of us had not heard of, and one, you know, vegetable vendor who That's set right. himself alight. Right. Um, so, of course, what it uh, what it reflects is underlying kind of grievances and and discontent, and certainly in Iran, that's the case. So, yeah. um, there's there's a few things. I mean, the there's there's a great deal of unhappiness with the kind of. Um, restrictions on on various kinds of freedoms, particularly with the youth. And Iran is one of those countries which has a very large youth population. Um, and um, the the kind of uh, restrictions on freedom, etc., is is a problem. Secondly, um, Iran is a is a country that has um, protests all the time. So the the idea of uh, being on the streets protesting is not is not something new. Yeah. Um, you know, much like South Africa, you'd have a protest in this town or that town, whatever. Um, certainly not at, at this scale that we've seen in the past week. But I'm, I'm just saying that uh, yeah. it's not, it's not, people don't fear to protest because that's, that's part of, uh, part of uh, daily life. But also, you know, um, the, the economic situation in Iran has been worsening. Iran is uh, living under four decades of sanctions. Um, with the, uh, with the Trump in the White House, those sanctions became worse. Um, the currency is in a terrible uh, situation. Um, the economy in general is is very bad, and people have been um, ordinary people have been suffering as a result. Um, and so there's this kind of discontent and unhappiness about the state of their lives. And, um, you know, the, the blame for that, um, those of us that are political analysts, you know, sitting far away might say, well, it's sanctions, etc. But when you're on the ground and you can't feed your children, then uh, the one to blame is the government, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's all of these kinds of things put together. And then you get one spark like this uh, that, that would set it off. 
the last huge protest was in 2019, um, as big as this. And in 2019, it was set off by a decision uh, or the announcement of a decision that fuel subsidies would be lifted. Now, again, that was something that was on the cards. Um, you know, everyone knew that the fuel subsidies had to be lifted. Yeah. Uh, but when it happened, um, it sparked off a, a great big protest because suddenly it, it hit home. Um, similarly, in, in this case, I guess. Naeem, you know, you say that the small, well, small spark, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, um, given that it is mm. the death of a person, it it has gone to women specifically. I mean, I've seen images of women, you know, setting police cars alight, jumping on top of police cars, cutting off their hair, as burning their headscarves. But as you say, this is this is the spark which then engages with so many other angers in the country as well. Yes. And, you know, on, on the headscarf issue, I think it's, it's important to make this note that... Uh, while the, the phenomenon of uh, and burning the headscarves and some men who are in solidarity shaving their heads, yeah. um, the vast majority of the women, because they, you know, the, most of the protesters are women, yeah. the majority of the women are in the protests with headscarves. Um, yeah. and, and, the issue, and, and so you see on social media as well, a number of Iranians who are posting on social media um, would say things like, um, I wear a hijab, but uh, so the issue is not about whether the woman wears the headscarf or not, whether she wants to wear the headscarf or not. The issue is that she wants the right to be able to, to choose, choose whether to or not. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, if 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 they're given, if they many of those women in the in this protest will probably continue wearing the headscarf because culturally, religiously, whatever they feel more comfortable, they want to. Others won't. Uh, but the point is that restricting freedom to choose um, is the real issue here. And so uh, th- that's, that's the point, that the, the headscarf thing is a reflection of a greater kind of dissatisfaction with the restriction of, uh, of, of freedoms. Naeem, we need to go to a break, but when we come back from the break, um, what, what I would really ask you is, whilst we've seen these protests taking place, and I stand to be corrected on this, it seems that the pushback from government has become quite uh, draconian. I think there are new deaths that have taken place as well. If you could maybe talk to us about what the government's uh, response has been. But we'll go to the break and if we can come back to that afterwards. Michelle Constant on SAFM. We're with our thought leaders, storytellers and griots, where we look at stories of the week. And one of those features is what we call small world, trying to understand a story that has taken place globally and maybe even getting a sense of how it can impact as well. Our guest is Naeem Gina, Executive Director at the Afro Middle East Center. We're talking about the protests that have been sparked by the death of an Iranian woman who was detained for not wearing what the authorities deemed to be modest clothing. The uh, protests have expanded. They've moved into a diversity of cities and uh, towns around the country. And one of the questions that I was asking Naeem before the break is, what has the response of the government been as the protests have increased and expanded geographically? Naeem. 
Well, what we're seeing now, one week later, is a very heavy-handed response. Um, I think by the last uh, count that I read, which was last night, um, about 35 people had been killed. So it's it's quite a a heavy-handed response. But let me say, when the protests started, um, and as I said, you know, Iran has protests all the time, every yeah. every day, basically. When the protests started, the response was not in uh, not as it is now. Um, what kind of worsened the situation, and um, uh, is that after the protests started, there were a couple of police people. I think one soldier who was uh, killed by protesters. Yeah. Um, uh, police stations were set alight and a few other buildings. Yeah. Now, again, if we reflect back on, on the 2019 case, it was a similar thing. Um, they expected that after the announcement of the um, lifting of the fuel subsidies that there would be protests um, and they would need to be managed in a sense. But uh, when, uh, when uh, police people were killed and um, I think bus station or something was set alight, the response became much uh, much heavier, much more um, uh, draconian. The internet was cut, as uh, there are internet restrictions now uh, as well. Now, in, in Iran, um, you know, firstly, living under kind of isolation uh, with the sanctions and other kinds of isolation, the notion of national security is, um, is, is a big thing for the, for the state. Um, remember also that, um, you know, if we look at just the past year, uh, a number of Iranian um, um, scientists, engineers, etc., who have been assassinated inside Iran um, by foreign agents. Um, yeah. Israel has taken uh, a credit for a couple of them. Um, some are said to be uh, from the Americans. So... Um, there's, there's, you know, at the for, foremost in the mind of um, um, state security uh, um, organizations is this idea that they are under threat. Um, and so when the protests devolve into that kind of violence, um, then, then there is this kind of response. Now, I'm not saying that it's a correct response. I'm just saying that we, we uh, you know, uh, try to understand the psychology behind it. But the result is now, um, one week later, um, 35 people killed, a number of people uh, injured. Um, And what really doesn't help, I think, is uh, the kind of uh, glee with which many Western medias, uh, Western media uh, report what is uh, what is taking place. Uh, firstly, as if it's a revolution, um, which, which you know, it's it's very far from being a revolution. Yeah. Um, as if it's a revolution, and and secondly, um, kind of egging on um, um, an agenda that suggests changing the regime. Um, that of course makes that regime then uh, feel that they, or, or at least pretend, if not feel that they are under attack globally and they need to respond in the same kind of way. Yeah. Finally, Naeem, uh, what what can we learn from this in South Africa? I mean, obviously, everything that happens with regards to geopolitics has uh, some kind of impact, whether it's immediate or not. What can we learn? Well, like Iran, South Africa, and probably more than Iran, South Africa has protests all the time. Yeah. 
um, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, I mean, I'm surprised that we haven't had a big uh, protest because of uh, load shedding. Yeah. But we have protests for everything else. Um, you know, our, our our unemployment rate, frankly, is higher than Iran or Tunisia when the, the uprisings took place, or Egypt when the uprisings took place there, etc. Our economic situation now, by you know many matrices, um, is worse than than those countries. Um, as some have said recently, for example, uh, Tabo Mbeki, that if uh, you know things don't change, we should expect um, an Arab Spring kind of situation. He said, the the one big difference I think between any of those countries, including Iran now and South Africa. Um, is that we don't um, clamp down on protests in the same way. We have a situation where uh, people's freedoms are protected. Now, freedoms don't mean much if you can't eat. But nevertheless, um, there are ways in which people are able to express that discontent uh, quite freely. And I think that that is the one saving grace for our regime. Yeah. and uh, but but that lasts only so long. As I say, people can't eat freedoms. Yeah. Um, and so you know, wh- once that kind of uh, ra- patience runs out, um, we are very used to having protests, and we also uh, not unfamiliar with the idea of making our protests turn violent uh, when we need to. Um, that if you know, if, if if we don't fix things soon, as in soon meaning within the next year or so. Um, I think we could be looking at uh, similar huge, massive protests uh, across the country uh, because of the real dire situation that particularly impoverished people in our country find themselves. Naeem, thank you so much for those insights as we look towards the rest of the world and uh, how the geopolitics of our globe impact on us personally here in South Africa. Naeem Gina is the Executive Director at the Afro-Middle East Centre and we were talking about the recent protests and death of an Iranian woman in Iran uh, when she was arrested by the, I'm putting this in inverted commas, morality police. It's 7.47. We continue with thought leaders, storytellers and griots.